And uh, we've been singing about it. We've been talking about it. It's December, which means Christmas is coming. And yes, yes, I'm excited too. And the question I have for you, actually, and you can give me some feedback here. When you think about that, when you hear that Christmas is coming, and I know some of you have been thinking about this since September, um, but what, when you think about Christmas, what comes to mind? And please don't say Jesus, because then I won't have anything to talk about later. So what do you think about when you think about Christmas? Come on. Gifts. Okay, we got a lot of the young at heart. Snow. Where are you from, young man? Uh, anything else? What do you think? Sharing, family, food? Food, yes. Give me turkey all day on Christmas. Hey, but you said gifts, and I know if this room was filled with kids, that would be all they said, right? Gifts. And Christmas is a time of gift giving. And I got to tell you, though, my mom, she's probably watching right now, is the best gift giver in the world. Okay, so growing up, I never doubted that I was going to get exactly what I wanted at Christmas, even if I didn't tell her. She knew. She is a great gift giver. She, from December 26th, she was shopping for the next Christmas, and she loved it. She loved to look at things and to think about what would the kids love and what would be fun and what can I put in their stockings. And so she loved everything about it, choosing the gifts, buying the gifts, making my dad wrap the gifts. And she loved watching us open the gifts. And so mom, very special in that way. So she is a gift giver, but I am what you would call a great gift receiver. Yeah? Any other, your love language is receiving gifts, okay? That's me. And so mom and I were a great fit at Christmas. And, uh, and I think my kids have inherited this from me because this is the time of year, and it's already been going on for a while now, but you know what they do. They start writing their lists and telling you what they want. But now we're into that week, you know, we're into December a little bit, where now the conversation is negotiating what time they can wake me up on Christmas morning, because that's when we open our gifts. And uh, so they love, they love the whole gift thing. But I'm a, hey, I try to be a good pastor, right? Pastor dad. And so I always ask the question constantly throughout the season, but guys, what's Christmas actually all about? And you know the answer. Now you can say the answer. What's Christmas about? Jesus, yes, right answer, church. Um, and that's what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus coming into the world as a baby, growing up to be a man. God, the Son of God coming into our world. And my kids know this, and many of you know this. But I want to tell you that that's not enough to know if you really want to experience a meaningful Christmas. And that's what we want for our church. Listen, Christmas happens how often? Every year, same message, same passages of scripture, same sermons, right? Um, it's the same story, but we, want, we don't want to just go through it the same old, same old. We want Christmas as a church uh, to be a time where each of us experiences God powerfully in our lives and for each one of us to have an intimate connection with God at Christmas. And if we want to do that, it's not just enough to know up here that Jesus came. You also need to know two other things. And not just know them up here. We really, really want, and I'm going to just implore you to try and open up your heart because we want these truths to sink into our hearts this Christmas. We want it to move from up here to down here so that we can experience God powerfully. And the questions we want to ask are these. Who is Jesus and why did he come? Who really is this guy? Who is he? 
and why did he come? And that's what we're going to look at for the next few weeks as we prepare for Christmas Day. And, uh, and we just were praying that God is going to work in our lives and draw us closer to him. And so today, we're going to walk through a gospel story from Luke chapter 7. And if you're hoping for a story of sheep and angels and mangers and stuff like that, we're not doing that today, okay? We're, we're going to take you to another story found in Luke 7. And uh, it's not a Christmas story per se, but it's a beautiful one. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to speak to our hearts this, this morning. But here's the thing. I got to tell you this right off the bat. Have you ever like told a story? You guys know that Tim is a great storyteller. You know, you got time for a story. That's Tim's favorite line. Um, Tim's a great storyteller, but have you ever told a story and you, it was something very meaningful you'd experienced and you want to share that experience. You want others to get excited about it. And, and you start explaining it and explaining it and people's eyes are just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, you just had to be there. You just had to be there. You ever said that? This story today has the potential for that to happen. Because there's a lot of cultural things going on. This is 2,000 years ago. A lot of cultural things going on that may just go right over our heads. And so my job is to try and help us kind of enter into the story and understand that. And I really hope and pray that by the end I just don't say, well, I guess you had to be there. That's the goal. So let's pray. Let's ask God to show us what he wants to say today. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the life of Jesus and the stories, the truths, the things that happened and he did and, and, and the people that witnessed them. And God, we, as we come to your word, we're separated by a couple thousand years. But I ask that today you would help us to be able to enter and understand this story and to experience it just like the people there would have experienced it so that you can really speak into our hearts through this time. So we give ourselves to you and your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke seven thirty six. The story begins like this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So here's the setting. I want to paint this for us. Pharisees, you may or may not know, were a really important group within Judaism. They were the people who devoted, were very devoted to the exact following of the Mosaic law. So they were kind of rule followers. And in, as you look throughout the New Testament, you see that they didn't exactly have a good reputation. So we see um, John the Baptist, do you know what he called them, the Pharisees? You brood of vipers. Yikes. Like, that's not very nice. Jesus himself, do you know what he called them? He called them hypocrites. He called them blind guides. Okay? We see them from their own actions and how they lived that they showed themselves to be quite judgmental and uh, extremely deceptive in how they interacted with people. So overall, not a great picture of the Pharisees. But at least one of these Pharisees seems to be a little bit different. So there's this guy, and we later learned his name is Simon in the passage. This is not Simon Peter, one of the disciples. This is, Simon was a common name, okay? And so this Pharisee's name is Simon, and he's at least a little bit interested and intrigued about Jesus. And so He's, he's obviously heard some things. He's heard about this Jesus character. Earlier on in Luke 7, we see that Jesus was pointed out to be a great prophet. Well, that would spark some attention. Uh, we also see that he healed someone. Uh, the crowds, people witnessed that he actually brought someone back from the dead. And so this news is spreading. Jesus is gaining this reputation. And instead of just writing off Jesus and saying, ah, he's a false prophet, Simon says, you know what? 
who is this guy? What's his story? What's he all about? I want to have him over. I want to talk with this guy. So he arranges this meal, and, uh, and, and it's out of his curiosity. So, all right, I'm okay with Simon at this point. But what would happen in this culture is that if you were to invite a public figure like Jesus over to your home for a meal, you would leave the door open so that other people in the community that were interested in learning more about that person as well, they could come and they could kind of stand on the, uh, on the walls and kind of watch and listen to the discussion. And so here they are enjoying a nice meal. There's no signs of conflict. There's no signs of major disagreement or arguments. Just a nice meal, conversation happening. And they recline at the table and something happens. Verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So let's notice a few things about this woman. She's from that town, which means she, people know her. She's known. And they know something about her, as, as we do here as well. It says that she lived a sinful life life. Maybe she lived a promiscuous lifestyle. It's quite likely she was a prostitute because whatever her sin was, it was outward and it was obvious and and people knew it. The town knew about it. And when she hears that this meal is taking place, she goes. Now, for a woman in this culture back then, 2,000 years ago in Middle East there, um, it would have been Like drawing near to Jesus itself or even thinking about drawing near to Jesus was very risky. Like you just wouldn't do that, okay? But she goes to the meal anyway. She's drawn to go listen, which might have been okay if maybe she just sat on the outskirts, maybe in the back row where people couldn't see her, but where she could still listen in. But she doesn't. For some reason, she boldly and really foolishly, she moves in close to Jesus, Huh. And we read in verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her own hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. And Simon and his guests can't believe what they're seeing. They can't believe it because this is utterly unacceptable. This isn't some quiet, calm encounter uh, where, you know, no one knows what's going on. She's just kind of doing this and conversation happens. No, this would have got the attention of the whole room. This is intense. She's not just crying a little bit. She is weeping and the tears are falling off of her face so much so that they fall onto Jesus' feet. And she notices that. And, And what does she do? She gets down and she does the unthinkable. She lets her hair down, her hair Hair is supposed to be kept up and and kept clean. And what does she do with her hair? She takes it down and she washes Jesus' feet with her very own hair. This This is unacceptable. You know, she doesn't, it's a really emotional scene. We've got to understand that. But she doesn't say a word in this entire passage. But her tears and her service of Jesus and the anointing of Jesus' feet that she does, it says so much about how her life is impacted just being in his presence. There's something about Jesus that is causing her to be like this in that moment. And unlike Simon, she isn't simply intrigued like, huh, who is this guy? 
tell me more. It's not just a head thing for her. Something's going on in her heart. She is overwhelmed with gratefulness and love being near him. And if it's not clear yet, please realize that no one there, not a single person would have said, oh, look how beautiful that is. Isn't that special? Look at, look at, she's crying. Look at, she's anointing his feet. That's so nice. No one would have said that. Uh, They would have been disgusted, just absolutely disgusted by what they were seeing. So what would drive her, do you think, to act in such a uh, just ridiculous way? What would drive her to act in such a culturally inappropriate way? Why would she do this? Here's why. Because she has been going throughout life carrying a weight in her life that is just crushing her. She is carrying a weight that is so burdensome, so guilt-inducing, so shaming, a weight that has been holding her back, keeping her down. Can you identify at all with that? Have you ever felt or, or experienced something in your life that was just holding you down, felt like a weight on your shoulders, keeping you back from all that you wanted to experience in life? Like, think about it right now. Seriously, think about it. What is it right now in your life that you wish could be taken away from you? What is the thing right now that keeps you up at night, that brings anxiety into your life at the thought of it? What would make your life less a burden if only it was taken away? Maybe, maybe a, a health issue or a physical ailment. Man, if I could just get that thing taken out, taken away, life would be different. Maybe it's a relationship or a person. Maybe it's a colleague that's just really hard to work with. Maybe it's an annoying neighbor. (laughs) Maybe it's a really disrespectful boss. If only that person wasn't part of my life, things would be better. Maybe it's debt. Maybe it's financial debt. I think that's the issue for a lot of people. If only that debt that I carry, that financial burden I have was taken, then life would be so much better. Anyone resonate with that? You know what it was, though, for this woman? the weight in her life, that thing was causing all the burden for her, it was her sin. It was her sin. It was the sinful choices and the sinful lifestyle that she had lived for so long. And in reality, this is what I hope we understand, it's the same for us. That ultimately is the thing that holds us back in life. Do you know that? It's our sin. Because sin, it's not just people, it's not just health, it's not just money. It's sin because sin is the greatest weight in life. And it doesn't just hold us back. You know what it does? It destroys life. Sin is destructive. It is messy. No, it's worse than messy. It just leaves a wreckage in its path. It is utterly destructive. Sin destroys our own lives. It destroys the lives of the people that we love, our families. It destroys communities. And it brings destruction in the world as well. It leaves shame, it leaves pain, and it leaves brokenness everywhere it is. Sin is a problem. It's the biggest problem for humanity. And you know what? It's the biggest problem for you and I as individuals too. Why? Because it doesn't just, it just, doesn't just cause issues with our, inside ourselves. It doesn't just cause issues with myself and others. It actually causes a great chasm, a great divide between me and God. It is an offense against God himself. That's what sin is. 
It alienates us from him. And since he is the giver of life and the source of all that's good, that's the biggest problem in the world when we're separated from him. And because the wages of sin, as we know the scriptures tell us, is death. What holds us back most is sin. And this woman, she knew it. But more than know it, like I hope you know it right now, she felt it. She felt it deep inside of her. But with Jesus, something was different. So, so there they are. Okay, we're back at the meal. They're enjoying this meal. And then this woman is utterly embarrassing herself in Simon's home. This is a disaster for him, by the way. It's a disaster. And he's got to say something because it's quiet and all the guests are waiting. And he's got to say something, but surprisingly, he doesn't. He just says something to himself. Listen to what he says. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus, proving that he is indeed a great prophet and more, he, and that he knows Simon's thoughts and knows who this woman is, he, he breaks the silence by telling a short parable. Now, this parable is, is a short story. There's not a lot of details given, just enough to make the point sting to Simon and to those listening. This is how, what he says in verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. He said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Short and sweet, makes the point. Listen, what's Simon's issue in this whole scenario? Because as a Pharisee, well-respected among the people, he's always been seen to be right. He's honored among people, but he lacked something that this woman had. What did he lack? He lacked the understanding of the gravity of his sin. He lacked understanding of the seriousness of his own sinfulness. So Jesus makes it really clear to him. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this, wo this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head like you probably should have as a good host, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. The reason that this woman can come before Jesus with such reckless abandon is that she knows who Jesus is. She knows who he is. And because she understands, like Simon and others there don't, how monumental her sin is how enormous the debt is that she carries, and how Jesus has completely forgiven her. And if there was any question in anyone's mind still in that room, Jesus is very clear. Then Jesus said to her, 
your sins are forgiven. Have greater words ever been spoken? Your sins have been forgiven. Wow. In the presence of all the people that had shamed her, that had carried this reputation, that had spread rumors, that had talked about her behind her back and left her out, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. The times that she has slept with other men, the times that she has gossiped and lied and, and stolen or whatever she's done in her sinful past, we don't know. But there was a lot. The massive amount of wrong and shameful and broken things she has done her whole life has been entirely forgiven by Jesus. The weight has been lifted and the implications are huge. Think about this. She is no longer fearful of the judgment of God. She doesn't have to be afraid of that anymore. Not only that, but in her community, she's no longer, to the, uh, no longer a captive to the judgments of others. She's been, she's been released from that. Her honor in the community has been restored. It's beautiful. She's been declared innocent of all of her wrongs, all because she knows who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the King of Kings. He is the only one who can forgive. He is God himself. She gets it. But the other guests are now trying to understand because they don't get it. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Who is this? This is the question we want to ask this Christmas season. Who is Jesus and why did he come? You know, in 1 John chapter 3, we see uh, a few great uh, descriptions that we're going to walk through over the coming weeks about why Jesus came. And here's the first one of them. It says in verse 5, described very clearly, you know that he appeared so that he might, what? Take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Jesus is the one who came to take away our sins. To lift that weight, to remove that burden. You know, I love in John 1, 29, when John the Baptist first saw Jesus, what did he say? He said, look, who? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who is Jesus? He's the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God. He came as the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God who came to take our sins off of ourselves, take them onto himself, and go to the cross for us so that we don't have to. He came as that sacrificial substitute for our sin. And what do we get? Forgiveness. Transformation. New life, just like this woman experienced. The best gift of Christmas is forgiveness. That's it. That's the best gift. The appearing of Jesus, the Lamb of God into the world, it's forgiveness of our sins. Get this. The gift that Jesus wants to give us is actually to take away something from us. It's kind of ironic. He wants to give us something, but what he wants to give us is taking away our sin. Now, I have to admit something, because when I read this passage and studied it, and I pictured myself there, I thought to myself, would I be like that woman? In fact, have I ever been like that woman? Have I ever done something so outwardly embarrassing, so outwardly emotional, uh, and, and maybe inappropriate in my worship of Jesus? Now, I'm not a super emotional person, but I thought, I said, yeah, there, there, 
there's definitely been times in my life where God's grace and his love for me and his forgiveness of my sins and the recognition of my sins has hit me in my heart, where, where it really hits me and I'm like, God, thank you so much. And that's good. But let me tell you, if we struggle in any way right now to identify with this woman and the emotions that she's experiencing, realizing who Jesus is and why he came, it's worth asking at least these questions. It's worth asking, is it possible that maybe we've gotten a little bit used to our brokenness? Are we used to it? Is it possible that maybe we're a little bit content in our sinfulness? Is it possible that maybe even we, we, we like our sin? Is that possible? Is it possible in some way that we're in denial of it? No, that's not an issue. That's not an issue. That's not really a sin. That's not a big deal. Or perhaps we aren't even aware of it. Did you know there could be sin in our life that we're not even aware of? You know, we don't know how Simon responded after this meal and this whole interaction. We don't get that part of the story. Wish I was there. But I'll tell you what I wish Simon would say. I wish he would witness all this and hear Jesus and hear about this forgiveness. And I wish he would say, Jesus, show me. Show me the depth of my sin Help me to get it. Help me to understand it so that I can experience what this woman here is experiencing. So that I would be forgiven. So that I would experience a transformation in my life that would make me worship you. Man, I really wish that's what Simon would say. And you know what? Maybe that's, a, maybe that's an appropriate prayer for us this, this season. You know, we're still a few weeks away from Christmas, and maybe this sounds like a, a bit of a downer kind of prayer. Like, isn't Christmas supposed to be all joyful and stuff? Like, happy, happy, right? But let me tell you this. Until we really understand, not up here, but until we understand and hear the gravity of our own sinfulness, and we understand the depth of who we are if we are separated from God, until we really get that, we will not experience the joy and the peace, and the hope, and the love that Christ wants to pour into our lives this Christmas. We have to get it on a deep level in our lives, and God is the one who can give it to us. So what if we prayed that? What if we asked God to show us the severity of our sin? What if we would be so courageous and bold to do that, so that this Christmas we could once again be overwhelmed by God's gift of forgiveness? There's a prayer that one of our pastors, uh, John, he shared with some of us this past week, and I think it's really helpful in this. And it goes like this, alert me, God, to sin's deceitfulness, and especially to the deep sins and hypocrisies in my life that are currently invisible to me, and help me to repent of them and change the way I live. You might want to take a picture of that. I would encourage you to pray along these lines this coming week as we head into this Christmas season. God, alert me. Show me. Show me sin's deceitfulness. Because that's what it is. It's very deceitful. Especially the deep sins. God, those sins that I'm not really willing to go there, show me those. Would we be so courageous as to go there and let God reveal that to us? Show me the ones I don't even see, God. Help me to repent, to turn from those things, to confess them to you, and to change the way I live. Friends, Jesus is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world, to take away our sins. And because he has come, 
If you believe in him, if you trust in him that he is who he says he is and he did what the scripture says he does, if you believe that, he will take away your sins and you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Best gift ever. And with that, that understanding, do you know what Jesus wants for us? He wants for us exactly what he told the, the woman at the end of the story. Jesus said to the woman, your faith sa- has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Like the woman in the story, Jesus wants for us, his church, to go in peace in the world. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? In the midst of stress and burdens and anxiety and all the stuff going on in life. Jesus wants us to have peace, to go in peace. And so if you want to go in peace this week, do you know where it starts? It starts simply by giving Jesus your sin. Give Jesus your sin. Give it to him. He, can, he came to take it, and you don't have to wait until December 25th. You can do it right now. You can do it today. That's why you're here today. That's why God brought you here. He wants to take your sin far away from you. So acknowledge it. Acknowledge the fact that you are separated from God in your sinfulness if you've never put your faith in Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, acknowledge that, hey, maybe there is still some sin in my life and that you need to hand that over to God. And if first, first John 1 John 1.9 is beautiful promise. If we confess our sins, what? He's faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What a great promise, isn't it? So give him your sins because he wants to take them. Give them to the Lamb of God. And if you do that, and if you're living in that, you know what else it means to go in peace? We, we really want you to walk in assurance, okay? We want you to walk in assurance that you are forgiven. You don't have to doubt that. There's this image for me of when you're walking with a weight on your shoulders, you know, it's this image of someone slunched, slouched over walking, and it's like it's hard to walk, it's a burden, there's a lot of shame, there's, there's a doubt in that. Uh, but the image of someone who's walking in assurance and confidence of their forgiveness is much different. It's the person whose who's back is straight and their shoulders are back and their head is high. And they can walk, not in arrogance, but in, in confidence and assurance that their sins are forgiven. And when you walk out those doors today, if you've given Jesus your sins, we want you to walk just like that. Put your shoulders back and know that you are forgiven. Walk in that joy. Walk in that peace. But don't go and just keep that peace to yourself, okay? What we really, really want is for you to share this peace with others. you got to share. Freely we've received, freely we must give. Church, we have to. We have to share the message of who Jesus is and why he came, that he came to take away our sins. We have to share that message in the world. And not in a legalistic sense that you have to do this, but in a sense of, guys, people in Dubai and all around the world are burdened and separated from God in their sin, and they are desperate for a Savior. And they may not even know it, but they need this gift of forgiveness in their life, and we've got the answer. We've got to share that with them. And so here's what I want you to do right now. You're going to look at this card once again. Tim showed this already. You see that? This card is very pretty. And I know that what you want to do with pretty things is put it up on your wall or on your, your fridge or something like that. Please don't do that, okay? The point of this card is not for you. It's for you to give to someone. And you're going to get some when you leave today. And what I want you to do right now, please take 30 seconds. I want you to close your eyes and think for a second. And please ask God, 
God, show me who you've put in my life that needs to know who you are and why you came. Ask him to show you who that person is right now. I know he's put someone in your life, in your workplace, your neighborhood, a friend, a family member. Who is it that needs to hear? You got, a, you got someone in mind? Or a few people, hopefully? I want you to think now for a second, what, what would happen if you gave him this card and said, hey, you know, our church is doing a we're gonna, Christmas Eve uh, uh, time together. It's going to be a celebration. Uh, would you come? We'd love for you to come. If you were to ask them, think about this. Do you think they would come? Would they accept the invitation? Just think about that for a second. Okay, now I want you to think about the fact that the answer to that previous question doesn't matter. Okay? It doesn't matter if they would come or not. It doesn't matter if you think they would come because our job is not actually to change people. And our job isn't to convince people. Our job is just to freely make available this message of forgiveness and grace and love to the world. And you know what? You giving and inviting someone, they may surprise you. They may show up and it may be the greatest gift they've ever received in their life. Because God might work in their hearts and they might realize who Jesus is. And they might realize why Jesus came. And you know what? They may put their trust in Jesus and their lives for eternity will be changed. For the first time, they'll experience peace and joy and love and hope. What an amazing gift that would be. And that's why we do our Christmas Eve service. Sorry, it's not for you. It's not for me. It's for the people of Dubai who desperately need to hear about Jesus. And so let's, let's go. Take one, two, five, however many you need. Take these and hand them out. We'll make more if we got to make more. And let's make sure that we invite lots of people to hear about Jesus this Christmas. Hey, listen, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God who came to take the sins of the world upon himself to forgive us. And because of that, we get to go today in peace. What a gift that is. I hope you're encouraged by that. I hope you embrace that forgiveness and peace today. Let's close and let's pray and thank him for it. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are, for coming into the world, the Lamb of God who came to take away our sins. We worship you today, God. We thank you for the incredible gift of forgiveness. Lord, thank you that you're working in our hearts right now. And, and God, we, we do confess that there's stuff in our lives that maybe we don't even see. There's ways that we offend you. There's things that we think and do and say, and there's deep stuff, God, that we don't even want to go there. But I pray today that you would help us to see those things. Lord, help this to be a message that, in truth, that isn't just in our heads, but that moves to our hearts so that we would feel this and we would recognize how incredible the gift of forgiveness is. God, may we be like this woman who just showed lavish love and worship to Jesus, no matter what anyone else thought. May we be brought to our knees in your presence. We give you praise. We give you glory. We love you. And we're so grateful for what you're going to do in our lives and in our city this Christmas season. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.